time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 130 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house in historic Gettysburg, PA. Bantam Coffee Roasters. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Today we are drinking Guatemalan coffee. It has notes of cocoa, toasted sugar, and raspberry. Yum, yum, yum. And if you want to drink this coffee, you can. Where should everyone go? Bantamroasters.com. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram. So, are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am, but first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats. Orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so how are you doing? Very well, actually. Things are slowing down, spending a lot of time working on stuff around our farm, I like mornings this time of year. They're still cool. I can wander outside with my coffee and see what's blooming or see what seeds have come up. Oh, yeah, definitely. I love mornings this time of the year. And I love my peonies this time of the year. It is no secret. Peonies are my favorite flower. And I love them. And they're blooming. They're We got buds on them. And I do have my scarlet. Did you see it when you walked in today? Mm-hmm. It bloomed. Yeah, yeah. So I'm. that's one of the singles that have all the stamens in the middle. So pretty. Yeah, they're really neat. That came from a peony farm up in PA that I visit most every year, and they sell their flowers also. Why haven't we gone there? We need to go. I usually go every year around this time. So yeah, there's so many blooms on my peonies this year. I'm excited. But as soon as they go, it's like you got to cut them or do something because they fall over. They're heavy. I always hid them behind other things. Like I'd put daylilies in front of them or something. Yeah, I have the little stakes basically, that you can put them in like a little circle thing and it holds the whole thing up. But I need to get so many of them. I'm like a whole big peony garden would be beautiful, but then it would be beautiful for like two weeks out of the year. And then... Yeah, you just, you know, you hide them with other things. Yeah. Once the the greens start to die back. I love this slowdown right now. It's it's so serene. I love the slow mornings. I love the chicks right now. They're in that stage where they're so fun to cuddle and hold walking around with them. The girls have been super busy, so I've been doing more snuggling. Mm -hmm. So it's so funny to watch them. When I pick them up, they just, all of them look directly in my face like, hey, I know you. You're my mom. (laughs) Two of our coaches have vulture hawks coming in. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So Ada Lovelace, the silver lace does, and Indigo, the blue coaching does as well. Nice. Yeah. So I'm very excited to see how those girls keep progressing as they grow. Well, follow us over on Instagram so you can see all the chick videos and pictures that we're putting up. 
We're flooding everybody with some chick spam right now, Mm -hmm. for sure, because they're just too cute. This is the time when you're like, oh, you just want to hug and kiss them constantly. Chick spam is the best. It is. Okay. So on that note, that brings us to this important part. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button for two reasons. The first is you never miss an episode, and it's another great way to help us grow. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can tell your chicken-loving friends about the podcast. You can visit our Etsy shop. Take a look at the t-shirts and the mugs we have there. You can become a patron of the show. Visit us at patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our website, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the February box, I absolutely love the red iron rooster trivet and the seed block. I really love that egg timer. It's going to be great when I'm baking. And those chicken stickers are going to be awesome on notes I send out. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. La, la, la. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. It's time for the Breed Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. It's a springtime introduction. That was springtime? Yeah. It's okay. happy. It's happy. Little drums. Drums are big right now. So yeah. Happy introduction. Okay. <laughs> so this week we are, we're going a little off course because you know we generally feature heritage breeds, but this week we're going to do some hybrids. We're doing the whiting true blue and true green. And I have to say, if I were in the business of getting hybrids, if I wanted to keep hybrid chickens, I would probably go for the whitings. Those eggs are gorgeous. They really are beautiful. And they have some interesting things about them. And they haven't been bred. I mean, they were bred by an academic, but they haven't been bred 
in a big genetics company for super laying. Right. So they're still good layers, but I would hope that the slightly different treatment, the slightly different development that went into them, maybe would keep them a little healthier than most commercial hybrids. Right. Maybe slow down the egg laying a little bit, slow down the reproductive system, keep them healthier and give them a little bit more of a longevity of life. Right. Right. You got to hope. Yeah, yeah. So the Whiting True Blue and True Green are varieties of hybrid layers that were developed by a poultry geneticist named Dr. Tom Whiting. Shocker. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting story because Dr. Whiting did not set out to create hybrid colored egg layers. He had an entirely different purpose in mind when he first started breeding. Dr. Whiting is from Colorado, and he was initially trying to develop a breed for cockerel and rooster feather usage. Yes, I remember this. So it turns out that very large hackle feathers from roosters' necks are perfect for tying in the flies for fly fishing. Yes, and that's what he wanted. Right, and I had I did not even know this was a thing over here on the East Coast. Dr. Whiting reportedly ties flies for a hobby. Yes. If you visit his website, whitingfarms.com, the tagline is genetic fly tying feathers. Exactly. That's it right there. There are several photographs of large, colorful hackle feathers tied into fishing flies on the website, and the website also sells feathers for fashion and craft use. I would imagine millinery would be big. Yeah. Using it in hats. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The other thing about Dr. Whiting is he didn't start his breeding program entirely from scratch. So some of his background, he had finished his PhD in poultry genetics at the University of Arkansas, and he was managing a large commercial egg operation when he acquired his first line of fly-tying chickens. It was called the Hoffman Hackle line. I know. This is, we've talked about this chicken before, and it still well, gets me like I don't... Un- we talked about this chicken on a Patreon episode. Way, way so, long, a long time ago. If you're not a patron, you don't know, you probably haven't heard this yet. But we have just simply talked about this chicken before, and it's that I'm somewhat on the fence about. The fly-tying, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be careful with this breed spotlight to not put my own biases in it one way or the exactly. other. And just kind of reporting exactly what happened. Yeah. That's exactly what you have to do with this. Yeah. So Dr. Whiting eventually acquired more lines, and he spent the 1990s working on hackle genetics. He even imported hatching eggs from Spain. He brought in the oldest known line of fly-tying chicken, the Coque de Leon, mm-hmm. which is fascinating for a whole bunch of reasons. Yes, for sure. In the midst of all this work doing the breeding, the Whiting true lines were developed. I've found several sources that list Aracanas or Americanas and white leghorns as the foundation breeds for the true blue. Okay, I can see that. Now, I've not been able to confirm this with any reliable sources, but it does sound likely. Yeah. And some of the true blues do show up with muffs and beards. Yes, they do. So that's there's something to that. I definitely can see it when you look at the chickens. So let's go into the appearance of the true blues. They have a peak home, but other than that, their appearance is all over the place. Yeah, there's really no standard... Again, I have them up on my computer screen. If you look them up right now, you're going to see just a lot of different looking chickens. Yeah, you might think some of them are Americanas or Easter Eggers. You've got some muffin beard. You have all kinds of feather patterns. Right. They have all different colors, all different feather patterns, and their legs can just be any different color on the rainbow also. So really, the only thing I guess that ties them together visually is the peak home. Which and I'm, the tail, kind I'm of. fairly certain the peak home is a dominant gene. I believe so. And I think the upright tail is also. Okay. 
So the up, I mean, their upright tail is most on all of them. Now they're a medium bodied bird. They are. And so let's look at their weights. The roos are coming in weighing about seven pounds and the hens are about 5.5 pounds. And they are, here we go, excellent layers. Right, right. The other thing we know about them is that Dr. Whiting bred them to the point where they have a double blue gene. Mm-hmm. So they are always going to lay you a true blue egg. And it's not like an, a blue egg from a leg bar or from Americana. It's a deeper blue egg. It's blue. Yeah. It's kind of, the shade is not exactly the same, but it's kind of the hue that you get from a crested cream leg bar. It's deeper. Yeah. It's definitely a little deeper. Theirs can be kind of like light blue and green. And this is like, Blue. Now, the Whiting True Greens. is green. Right. <laughs> so, the Whiting True Greens are a bit different than the Blues because they breed with a more consistent appearance. Okay. Now, we've read that they're derived from Isa Browns, but again, no official sources to confirm this. Okay. So, let's go into the appearance of the Greens. The Greens are generally shades of chestnut with some white patches, or they're red with gold and black on their necks and black on their tail feathers. Sounds complicated. Yes, it does. They have yellow legs and straight combs. And like we said, they're going to lay you a beautiful, beautiful green egg. Always. Yeah. And the shades of green are all over the place that they can lay. But they're green. Yeah, they're definitely green. I mean, it is true green. I I like the names true blue and true green. You know what you're going to get from these chickens. Yeah. The greens are smaller bodied than the blues. Okay, so let's look at their weight. The hens are weighing in at about four pounds and the roos are coming in at around seven pounds. Interestingly enough, if possible, they may be even better layer than the blues. Whatever he was doing was getting them to be really good layers. I mean, but we don't want them to be laying to the point of overlaying. Well, let's put it in perspective. So McMurray Hatchery notes in their catalog that the true greens give their production white leghorns a run for their money. That's a lot. We're talking production strains. We're not talking hybrids. Right. We're talking production strains, but their pearl white leghorns are like... Machines. Egg-laying machines. Yes. If the greens can keep up with that, it's pretty impressive. They are definitely, definitely machines. Okay, so both the blues and the greens are known to be, you know, calm in a mixed flock, which is really good. That's what you want. And they generally won't go broody. That's the rule. But now, Murray McMurray does have a YouTube video up from a few years back of a true blue hen who has gone broody. (laughs) <laughs> Any hen can go broody, right. that's for it's, sure. It's possible. So we always say we're always going to give you the odds are either they're going to go broody or they're not going to go broody. But there's always that one yep. that will. There's always an exception to any rule. And this one may be less because it has lake, anything that has leghorn in it is going to be less. Leghorns right. really don't want to go broody. Yeah, the Mediterraneans just are not setters. They were, no. They've been bred for hundreds of years, selected to be layers and not broody hens. Exactly. So they're pretty heat hardy also, heat tolerant, which is good. And like we said, they have nice personalities. So they're good at foraging and free ranging. You really can't go wrong with this bird. Which makes them a really nice homestead breed. The true blue is interesting. Because of that double blue egg gene, you can breed them. You can. You're essentially going to be getting a barnyard mix. Right. Unless you decide to select for appearance, that would be an interesting experiment. But regardless, if you breed true blue to true blue, you are guaranteed blue egg layers. You're going to get some blue egg layers. What they're going to look like, you'll never know until you get it. It's a grab bag. They really do make a good farm bird. You know, they'll, they're good at foraging and free range. They'll turn over your compost. They'll help you in the garden. 
they will certainly keep your egg basket full of gorgeous eggs. They're also what I like to call kind of like the grab bag chicken. You don't know what you're going to get. So you get the chick and you're like, what's this chicken going to look like? It's not going to be like when you get your Buff Orpington and you're like, I know what Margo's going to look like. Exactly. This is going to be one of those like Dana grab bags where you're surprised when you (laughs) open, you know, that might, that is kind of fun and exciting in itself. Someone Mm -hmm. might like that. And like you said, this breed, it's not bred for over egg production, even though they're excellent egg layers. So maybe hopefully their life can be a little longer and healthier. Exactly. We hope. I like the fact that one, you're guaranteed the blue egg and that the true blues can look like Americanas. Yeah. Because who doesn't love a bearded girl? Exactly. Said the circus. Right. (laughs) Also, an interesting final note is that in several sources, we read that Dr. Whiting did intend these birds to be backyard birds. He was really breeding the true greens and true blues to be a backyard bird that gave you a large amount of colored eggs. He wasn't necessarily breeding them to be a large production breed, industrial production. You can get them at a very nice hatchery. Interesting as well. Murray McMurray Hatchery acquired the Whiting True Blues and True Greens, and they offer them exclusively. Yeah. You can have them shipped to you. Buy them straight from McMurray's website. Have them shipped to you. Sometimes you can find them at farm supply stores in your area if they're getting stock from McMurray. And if you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. Your best bet is to go to McMurray Hatchery and yes. get these birds. Right, right. And like you said, they're cute. You might have moths, you might not. You might have a bearded lady, you might not. Who knows what you're going to get. As far as hybrids go, these interest me quite a lot. I think there are a lot of things about them that I really like. You know what to do right now. If you have the Whiting True Blue or True Green, flood our Instagram with your pictures. We want to give you a story. We want to see your gorgeous bearded or non-bearded ladies and or men. And we want to see those beautiful feathers. So DM us your pictures. I'll give you a story. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Nestera.us. For a 5% discount, use the affiliate link in our show notes, on our website, and on Instagram. Link in bio. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We personally use Roosties products with our chickens, and we're huge fans. They have their awesome nesting pads, do-it-yourself feeder and waterer kits, and they've just released their best product ever, a new chick feeder and waterer set. They have adjustable legs to keep food and water clean. They're super well-made, and the feeder even has a removable lid so it can easily be filled from the top. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, all their products are available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Check out the Roosties store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so let's move on to main topic. Yeah. 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 So this week we have a really special guest in to talk with us. It's a dear friend of ours and the show. We have Ginger from McMurray Hatchery. We're so excited to talk with her. Enjoy the interview. Ginger, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Of course. This has been like a crazy busy chick season for everyone. Have you seen a lot of orders rolling in the spring? Yeah, it has been an unusual year for chickens. I'm sure you've seen the news. There's chickens selling out all over the country. 
every hatchery is pretty much sold out. The farm stores, which get their chicks from hatcheries, are selling in minutes and hours. Yeah, and our phones are ringing off the hook. I thought COVID was a big deal, you know, for the demand with everybody home. But this one has topped it, which I didn't, I, I didn't think was possible. I think maybe somewhat along the line, like the people who did get chickens during COVID are really loving their chicken experience. So they're going to expand mm-hmm. on having more chickens and expanding on their flock. And then what you have coming in right now is this crazy stuff about the egg prices and everything else. And then everybody is like, they want a hand at getting chicks and chickens. But, you know, hey, we welcome everybody in, you know, just learn about how to take care of them. That's all we ask it's a big thing out there. Chicks are hot. Chicks are hot right now. They're hot. I don't know if I told you this before. Murray and our predecessors used to say, in times of economic downturn and stress, chickens are popular. People kind of go back to what's a little bit more comforting and a little bit more old school. So we see when when times are good, people are busy, they're doing other things. But when they're worried or stressed, they tend to navigate to those things. We're seeing a rise in homesteading, which, you know, it ranges anything from you're going to keep cows and everything and live on a large property. But a lot of backyard going to have a garden, we're going to have chickens, people are wanting a little bit more of those traditional skills. Mm-hmm. And chickens fall into that. The popularity, once you get into it, our sales cycle used to be two to three years. Mm-hmm. So about the time when your chicken stops laying as much as it had, you get another chicken. Now those COVID chicken people are in that process. So this is that three-year cycle from 2020. Exactly. And then you just have, you just have an ex- expanding demand. Chickens are like a bowl of macaroni and cheese, just so comforting. Yeah. Hey, oh, why did you give me that look? It's the truth. I mean, they're a like lot a, of things you could have chosen, macaroni and cheese. Well, they're like a big bowl of macaroni pasta with your chickens. <laughs> That's what they're like. They're comforting. You could do a, your forest gum, but they're like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, which is very true. I welcome a lot of the new chicken keepers because mm-hmm. it's an exciting time and an exciting world to be in. Just embrace it. It's hard to get those chicks. Can you tell us the breeds that sold out the quickest? The ones that sell out the quickest right now, Black Copper Morans, hands down. We open pre-orders in November. Okay. Every year for the following year. That's kind of the kickoff to our season. So the catalog goes out around Christmas. We finish our last hatch the end of October. The first or the first Monday of November, we open it up to everybody to order for the next year. And I think the Black Copper Morans lasted a day or two. I mean, wow. It was, wow. <laughs> it everybody wants quick. those dark chocolate eggs. Yeah. Everybody's like, yeah. the dark eggs, we want those. They are beautiful. Wow. I'm not surprised. They're popular. That's for they sure. Are. So what's another popular breed that sold out pretty quickly? The rare stuff goes very, very quickly. When people know what they want when it comes to a rare and heritage breed, they jump on it and they go after those pretty quickly. For years, it was the Blue Lace Red Wyandotte. Mm. That was the it bird. And it kind of got toppled in its priority or champion status by the the dark eggs of the black copper morans. They like lavender Orpingtons. That's a hot bird right now. The blue Americanas, anything that's 
a color or a colored egg. Mm-hmm. The whiting true greens and whiting true blues this year, they were just crazy popular. It took a couple years for people to kind of realize how great they lay mm-hmm. and how consistent color they are. And then they kind of superseded even like a cream leg bar that'll go really quick. Americanas. So tinted eggs, it's that rainbow that's going to go very quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know we as chicken ladies had to get our order in in November also. I mean, we wanted to make sure we got the breeds. It's one of these things that if you decide spur of the moment, you're going to have to take your chances with waiting to see mm-hmm. availability. So tell us what happens. Mm-hmm. Every week, sometimes you do have an overflow of chicks and you put them out that they're available, correct? Yeah, it's kind of a balancing game. People ask us how many, how do we know? I got a message the other day that said we had three of a breed available. How would we know that specifically? And I said, simply, we have 106 years of data. That kind of, you start there and you know your flocks and you know each flock is going to lay a certain number of eggs and we have hatch rates going back for nearly a century now and a lot of those breeds, even decades for some of them Mm. that are not as old. So what we do in November is we'll put a percentage out on the website. So say we estimate, say, 100 eggs for a certain breed per week. We'll put 70 online for pre-orders. Okay. And then you leave that cushion until you start seeing actual eggs in house. Mm -hmm. Then you also start seeing hatch rates. So as our hatch manager, he hatches and ships with his team every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday and Friday is like getting the new eggs in for the following weeks kind of thing. So we're setting eggs the Monday, Tuesday, as we're sending out chicks. Okay. So if that makes sense, because you want them to hatch Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So people watch the website Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because as he gets actual eggs in, he'll adjust those numbers. And sometimes he'll release that other 20%. If we have something like a snow event, we don't release that 20% because we need to fill those orders in successive weeks. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have to catch up if you can't ship for some reason. And this year we happen to have like two snow events. So that was Mm. a lot of catching up. If something's hatching better than expected, then he'll adjust and put more out there available. If it's hatching less than expected, you know, sometimes, you know, your hens and your roos don't behave as you want them to. Or sometimes they just, sometimes couples don't click. (laughs) And so you get, either you get a lot of little chicks or you get not as many. So you kind of have to play that game with the, their live animals Mm -hmm. and Mother Nature sometimes doesn't always behave. Sometimes she's really in your favor, though. So the days for them to be checking your website are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, basically? For the most part, yeah. Sometimes even I tell people to look, say, on like a Tuesday and a Wednesday, because if we have a really good hatch on a Monday, then we might assume that those chicks will also do really, really great on Tuesday and Wednesday. Or if we could get out more orders on that Monday, then that leaves a little bit of room for the rest of that week. So if you have the bandwidth to take chicks very quickly, then sometimes you could take advantage of those. And I usually post those online if we have anything available that week. So online and on on your website and on your social media, basically, you'll come out and say, 
extra availability. Like mm-hmm. you said, if you're at a point where you can take them at a second's notice, then you might luck out and get some great breeds mm-hmm. that there's a little bit more hatch rate going on at that point. So that's a good thing for sure. I saw, I think it was like last week that you had extra ducks, extra ducklings out there. So people who are looking, and that's the other thing. Do you see a switch that you're getting more people coming to you for ducks since chicks are harder to find. So people are trying to raise ducklings at this point. Ducklings always seem to be a percentage of the number of chicks we sell. Yeah, Ducks have a, a different care regimen regarding them. They're, they're easy they, and they're fun. But, you know, you have water you don't necessarily have with chicks. You have to be prepared for that change in the care of those types of animals. They're called waterfowl, you know, for a reason. They, they love water. They'll swim. Oh, yeah. They'll, they need it. they'll make they'll make a pool out of a puddle. Usually what we see is people will they'll be very established in chickens and then they're ready for something different. That becomes that gateway something. So whether they're gonna jump into say goats and cows and everything and go down one lane, they might just add, you know, they might add quail, they might add ducks, they might add turkeys. You just never know. So the popularity right now is across the board in all poultry, not just chickens. It's all the poultry that you're selling is in high demand. The biggest demand I'm seeing right now is heavy layers. And some of that was triggered by the egg prices. Yeah, Those are rebounding very quickly. The heavy layers were more so than I've ever seen. Usually I can sell the tinted egg layers and the ornamental breeds very quickly, but we've been kind of surpassed by the everybody wants the heavy breeds. Wow. So that, that came in very strong and very quickly. I would say turkeys probably fall into that same homesteader audience. Right. Yeah. It's all poultry seems to be just doing well and there's just an increase in interest in it all. Everybody wants to live that uh, crazy chicken lady life because it's just so awesome. It's just a fun thing to do to have chickens and to raise animals to give you something back. As like Ginger mentioned, there's been a huge rise in homesteading. And I do think a lot of that has to do with food security. Oh, yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. After COVID and after the egg prices this year. But I also think people get that homesteading bug. Like once you get into it, you want to see what else you can do. Right. What more you can do. So that's probably a big part of it. The other thing we were talking about, though, too, is, and this is a little off the subject, but on, is the fact that when you go into this and you're trying to get the food security, don't think that the food security is going to come cheaply. Poultry they're not cheap to take care of. Those egg prices, you're going to be paying for a long time to get the eggs. Along with the egg prices, the the chicken feed prices went The chicken feed prices doubled, more than doubled. So you're going to be paying double to feed your chickens Mm -hmm. just to be aware of all those factors out there. Yeah, I guess you're looking at, if you're looking at food security, it doesn't necessarily save you money to have food security. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there are ways you can be a lot more efficient with feeding, you know, and save money, but there's no denying that my food bill at the end of last year and the beginning of this year almost made me faint. <laughs> I feel like you should go into chickens because it's something that you love and you've always wanted to. And you're like, look, egg prices are a little bit higher, but I've always wanted to do this. So this is my little push into it rather than, you know, going into it thinking you're going to save all the money in your eggs because you're not. But, <laughs> you know, it is going to give you food security. Absolutely. That for sure. Yeah, yeah. At a cost. 
it is an amazing community to be part of. It is amazing, an amazing thing to be a crazy chicken lady. And or I not say, crazy chicken lady. Well, just a chicken lady in general. Just to be part of it is really a good thing. And I can see why everybody's trying to jump on this bandwagon because it's a great thing. The bread and butter that we have had for years and years has been in the backyard chicken keeper. That's that's a lot of your pet market as well. Yeah. So I think what you also find is that once you start keeping chickens, you kind of, we always joke that chickens are cool. Yeah, they are. They're really fun and they're really cool. And there's all these fun facts about they can remember up to 100 faces and they have unique personalities. I think that once you start doing it, then there is that chicken math and people want more and more. And then if you have a growing population of customer base like we do, say, for one year, then they're going to want more and more and more. They just bring a lot of joy to a lot of people. I think I know a lot of people think that there's an issue with impulse purchasing of a chicken. Mm-hmm. I got asked that a couple times this year by different reporters that contacted us. When I thought it through and we looked at what we were seeing, we were seeing a lot of people that were were just wanting more chickens. They had, say, six one year, and now they're going to want 15. And they're expanding. They're getting better coops. They can accommodate more chickens because they started out with that tiny one and realized that that's not mm-hmm. really going to work. They're going to need the one that's a little bigger. It's fun. It really, really is fun. They love the eggs and they love the rainbows and they love doing all of it, but they just really, really like it. But they also plan. You can't really, back to my impulse comment, you can't really impulse buy from us necessarily because you're going to get a chicken order in and then you have to wait how many months for them to arrive. And then you need to wait how many months for them to lay the egg. It's not really an impulse thing. No. I can see it, you know, if you've gone to a store and they're sitting there, yeah. Mm -hmm. But with as far out as you kind of need to order through the hatcheries these days, we're not really seeing a ton of impulse. We are seeing new, right? um, but we have have met new every year. You just find out that they're fun and chickens are cool. I think that's what it is. We just all need to remember. That's what I was yeah. saying. I think everybody sees a part of this chicken lady life and they want to, it's it's a cool thing. Chickens are hot. A lot of the stores, when you go into like, let's say Target, they have their little section. It has, it's full of chicken stuff now. <laughs> Holly Ann went into just get some groceries at Walmart the other day and sent me a picture of chicken feed there in was Walmart feed. for sale in the Walmart. You know that chickens are hot commodity <laughs> right now when it's that mainstream in those two stores, Walmart and Target. They're going to stay right up with those trends and chickening. 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 It, it is a verb. Chickening. It yeah. Chickening. I, it's a I thing. Think, it yeah, is. I mean, I think it's a cool thing to be a part of. I've seen some people who did some impulse buying. And generally what has happened is that they'll go to say, so uh, we belong to a couple of Maryland chicken keepers Facebook groups. Someone will go on there and say, have these five pullets, can't keep them, who wants them? And 20 people say, I'll take them. Right. Yeah. I haven't seen- Generally though, those people have chickens. Yes. You know what I mean? They'll impulse a little bit more, you know? Yeah. So there's your chicken math is going to take effect. Yeah. But to just randomly show up and be like, I'm going to have chickens. There's a lot into it. So- yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, I'm an impulse buyer myself. If I see a breed that I wanted for years and it's right in front of me, package that up because mom was taking it home. I have the facilities for it or I can build the facilities for it. So so we were talking to you the other day, Ginger, and you told us that Murray McMurray has a hall of fame for famous people who have bought chickens. It's the E.T. of the chicken world. (laughs) 
There's a whole wall in our front office and it's quite impressive to see. There's photos. There's photos from quite a lot of famous people. More recent Um, or older? So should we get into name dropping some of the famous people that have come to McMurray Hatchery? Can we do that? Some of the famous people that have been our customers. Let's see. The biggest one in chickens for me, because I'm literally sitting here with a whole stack of every magazine from the dawn of time, was Martha Stewart. Yeah. The quintessential chicken lady right there. Martha Stewart. The lady that told everybody about colored chicken eggs. That's right. When they started being a thing. I probably have that issue in my closet right now. I was going to say, I, I, think I have it too. She, yeah. made, she made the Morans what they are today, she basically. I mean, she put them on the map over here in the U.S. as mm-hmm. in she every chicken the, lady needs one. I, and I have two of them in my flock. She did it on the magazine and she did it on her show because I might have slavishly watched her show every week. I watched her show too. Um, <laughs> I mean, how could you not? And so I will never forget the Morans episode where she showed these chocolate brown eggs and I had never seen anything like that. I mean, you know, I had uh, a couple of Americanas, but those Moran eggs were just, yeah, what can yeah. you say? And it was specifically the black copper, right? Who lay the darkest. I have cuckoo Morans and they lay speckled, but not as dark you're, as the black yeah, copper. Yeah, they're not quite as dark. So do you know what breeds Martha got? Black we're taking deep. I know. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> black copper Morans. Um, last year got. I think it was last year. It was either last year or the fall before. I'd have to look at the blog again. But there was, she got the whiting true greens and the whiting true blues. Did she? It's always the tinted, the really good egg colors. She likes the rainbow eggs. Yeah. There's, if you look at her blog, see when the chicks arrived. Okay. She still has, she still has a blog. She may not have a show. You know, she's moved on from that now and enjoying I think a lot of retirement, it's always a big thing with the ladies in the office. You know, the message board goes a little bit crazy when, when she's called in or when someone else is called in. Oh, I love it. The, my sister's favorite one on our wall of fame is the Grateful Dead. Uh-huh. So nice. She loved that band all through college. And then <laughs> I started my job and there's a signature of Jerry Garcia on this poster because the whole band signed it and sent it in, I thought she was going to fall over. (laughs) (laughs) But my question for all these is going to be, what what chickens did they get? You know, that was was pre-me. Yeah, pre-me. I do know that there was certain George, who shall remain nameless. He's very handsome and might have a wife named Amal. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And was a doctor on the show ER, but we won't name any of the names. We aren't going to name names. Because we're not name dropping. There was a partnership that he was involved in. And so there was going to be all these rare breeds that were going to basically, it was a permit culture type of a thing for a vineyard. And so that was also going to make the vineyard just beautiful with all these rare breeds. So I remember we were talking about this the other day. Sumatras. Yeah. Sumatras. Yeah. You were telling us about that the other day. Umis. All these really neat ornamental breeds. So yeah, that's what those were going to be used for. I got some crazy ones. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I lo- no, I um, love my babies. Don't get me wrong, but they are not n- uh, Napa ready. <laughs> <laughs> Napa ready. <laughs> so I went, uh, Joe and I went to Napa for our 20th, like five years ago. Your 20th anniversary? Yeah, 20th anniversary. And the one thing that I loved doing in Napa Valley was going to all the vineyards and seeing the chickens all on the vineyards. Mm, and, yes. Yeah, on the wineries. 
And there are some beautiful chickens everywhere. And it's a big thing to have them just walking around the vineyard. It makes sense. It It does. Yeah. They put it when we were in Napa on a vacation. I was actually searching out all of the vineyards that we could go visit. You know, I got to go look for chickens on my vacation at all times. Of course. (laughs) Did you go to the castle? Did you go to the castle? I cannot remember that wine. It's a huge castle. They had the most chickens out of anybody, and I cannot remember the name of the vineyard, but it's a castle. I mean, the name of the wine. They had some beautiful chickens on their vineyard. Castello de Amorosa. I went there, and they had the most beautiful chickens there. They had most of the chickens? They had so many beautiful chickens. Oh, so what you're talking about is an authentically styled 14th century Tuscan castle winery. Yes, I went there. Loaded with chickens. (laughs) Loaded with chickens. It was beautiful. Interesting. Well, I'm going to pull out some pictures and put those on our social because I took pictures of the chickens there, of course, because I'm crazy chicken lady. Just gives me a thousand Um, more questions. Do they go broody? What do they do? Do they have hens They just walk everywhere. They just walk around. And when you're in Napa, the weather is like beautiful 24-7. Yeah. Except for, you know, like it's not bad for them. They were just everywhere. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was bad for them. It just just gives me lots of questions. The only problem I had with is it's not really predator savvy because... If they're there, other animals are around too, but they live the life at a, the a, at a castle and a vineyard. <laughs> I mean, that's living the life as a chicken right there. We've derailed ourselves with chickens and vineyards. <laughs> as we do. So we do have one that you might be interested in. In California, there is the biggest little farm. I and loved right, right. it. Yes, I've watched Did, it Have you Disney seen the Plus. movie? Yes. yes. I've not. So Apricot Lane Farms, they have been a customer of ours too. And it's just one of those things that I love it because I love the movie. It's when everything that you love kind of coincides together. So they are this couple that were in Hollywood area and they bought land that was completely barren. It had been overused the dirt wasn't even going to grow anything Mm. and they they rebuilt it chickens were a huge part of that it was so much fun to watch that movie and know that it's grown and now it's this thriving farm and at one point you know we talked about do people bring in other types of waterfowl and other types of birds well then they started bringing in ducks because they had certain pests that they needed to remediate Mm -hmm. I think that was in the orchard, Mm, you know, and so they strategically brought in different types of poultry and yeah, they had to deal with predators. They had it all just built and then they had this learning lesson, but that was all in the movie and their story. Their story is so amazing. And the movie that Disney Plus puts out is beautiful. And uh, you just watch it and from the beginning and you see like, oh, my God, what they bought. But they were so visionary. It it just goes to show that you can do anything you put your mind to. And you see something and this ground was so horribly dead. And what they turn it into is amazing. It's really cool to watch. It's not long. It's like a half an hour. You've convinced me. I put that on my list. Yeah. Since I have duck. Okay, so what other famous people are on this wall of fame? We are dying to know. All those chicken ladies want to know. It's a fun wall. Let's see what else is. George Foreman is on there. I'm <laughs> trying to mentally picture all the... Yeah, because we have these signed <laughs> photos from them all. Oh, that's um, fun. Isabella Rossellini is yes. on there. She actually has crevicores and she's... You can find them on Instagram. She posts quite a bit on Instagram because she's pretty active in the crevicore preservation. 
Mm-hmm. And I think she has she has a farm called Mama Farm. Nice. And oh, right. It's interspersed with, you know, she's very eclectic with all of her artsy posts and the theatrical type stuff she does. And then, then she'll do chickens. We love seeing her chicken posts. That's fun. There's some country music singers on there from back in like the 70s. You know, there is one thing that you'll love. There's this big bottle of, I think it's like Japanese wine. Nice. And it used to be on our recording. You know, when you'd be on hold, you'd hear all these fun chicken facts, which we need to kind of record again. Back in the day, we could ship all over the U.S. and internationally. Right now, we can only ship within the U.S. We ship to all 50 states, but we could ship overseas then. And at one point, we did ship to the emperor in Japan. Really? That's cool. So I've been looking for the old photos. I was originally looking for these old coops that he had where it was straight on one side and it just had an angled roof. Okay. And you could walk in the door and it had all these windows and some of them had like a peak on them. So if you see farmland with these kind of uneven roofed slanted tiny structures, those are old fashioned chicken coops. Oh, wow. Because you have these windows up top and that helps with ventilation, but you also have a full size door so you can get in your coop. Sounds good to me. And our owner, Tom, is building one of those right now on his new homestead. Nice. That's cool. Oh, that is really cool. I mean, there's something to say for a family owned such rich history over 100 years in business. I mean, that's just, I mean, there's something to say for that. One of my favorite photos that you put up was Murray McMurray with a wagon full of chickens. And one of them clearly (laughs) said Yokohama's on the side of it. Yeah, Yeah, you can read everything there. I was going to make a stand-up of him because there's a cutout picture of him holding a tray of chickens. And I want to take that to events with us so that people can do a selfie with Murray McMurray. That sounds (laughs) so much fun. I like that idea. That's really neat. You want to just take in that rich history and appreciate that this man had these tastes in chickens. And that's the reason why you have these awesome breeds today, starting way back with Murray, Mr. McMurray. And, and his you Menorcas. Know, yeah, it's amazing. He didn't have yeah. the taste of the chicken man of that day. He had a richer taste in chickens. Like the heritage breeds, yeah. yeah. He loved chickens. And, you know, his dad wanted him to be a banker. There's a story, I posted it at one point, I think it's on our Instagram, it's with a photo of him. And it's a story of him saying that he could sell so many chickens, and he bet his dad a new hat that he could, you know, that he could do it. And he writes in this catalog that he went to the bank to collect his hat, because he, (laughs) because he won the bet. It was just what he really loved to do. You know, when the bank fell, collapsed in the depression, he's like, well, I'm going to do this. And I don't know if he had any idea that this would be 106 years later and we'd still be going. We'll be talking here today about McMurray Hatchery. I mean, it's so rich in history. It's so refreshing. I love just learning about it. It's amazing. The whole coop thing, that's just fascinating to me. I do love things like that. Going back and finding something like that design. I love a coop you can walk into. Yeah. It makes cleaning so much easier. It makes taking care of your birds so much easier. And now I'm going to have to see if I can track down some photos of those coops. That sounds really cool. Holly's on a mission. Oh, Lordy. Holly's on a mission. Well, if it's history and chickens. Yeah. That's why I mean, I can't even imagine how much good stuff is is in the McMurray archives. Oh, man. So why there's probably a whole book worth in there. (laughs) 
So Ginger, tell us a little bit about some up and coming events. Are you going to be around to meet everybody or some homesteading events coming up? We are traveling this year. It's a a big year for travel for us. The next one, May 31st-ish, like June 1st and 2nd, that weekend, we're going to be in Tennessee at Rory Feeks Farm again for the Homestead Festival. The end of June, we head to, it's the Idaho-Washington border. And we're going to be at the Modern Homesteading event with Melissa K. Norris and her group out there. So that's a whole new coast for us to go to. Nice. Wow. Then we go to Mother Earth News in Erie, Pennsylvania. Great. And then Tom is going to be in New England. There's a New England homesteaders event that he's going to go to there. And then we kind of close out the year at Homesteaders of America like we have each year. So not too far from you. No, wow, nice. Yeah, we're gonna have Virginia. to come. We're gonna have to come see you. Yeah. That's for sure. That's a I lot. I don't remember ever hearing this many homestead events before. You know, the Homesteaders of America was one of the first ones, and then it kind of skyrocketed over time. It was just one of those natural course of things where you started seeing Facebook groups of homesteaders of mm-hmm. you know Middle Tennessee or homesteaders of New England or of the West. Then they just started having their own events. And I think that helps because not everybody can travel to one. HOA itself has only so many people that can fit at that location right now. So they're capped at about 5,000 people. So when, people. You, go out to, when oh, wow. you go out to the West Coast, will you be taking chicks with you or just you going? We try and take chicks to every single event. I went to the Homesteaders of America women's event in November. I didn't take chicks to that one because it was simply after, you know, we had finished. Right. For the season. Yeah. But we do take chicks. We fly them and pick them up at the airport like anybody else. So I have to call the post office at that location and say, hi, I don't live there. I'm flying in. But can you hold my chicks for an hour or so until I get there? (laughs) Can you hold my chicks, please? (laughs) Please. That's always a weird conversation. But it's fun. I get to pick up chicks at the airport at the post office like anybody else. So, which I don't usually get to here, you know, I just go get them at work. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much for sitting down with us tonight and taking some time to update us on McMurray Hatchery and everything that's going on over there this year. You know, you're our favorite hatchery. And you're our favorite podcast. Thank Thank you. you. For anybody who's looking for heritage breeds, you can't Um, go wrong with McMurray ever. You can follow Murray McMurray Hatchery on Instagram, on Facebook, and don't forget to check out the website to see if any breeds are available in a given week. And also, check out McMurray, and you're going to see our articles over there every month. On the blog, yeah. On the blog for the different breed spotlights. We love writing for you guys. It's so much fun. I think this month is Leghorn. Yes, go over and check it out. Thank you, Ginger. We love you so much, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. We just want to thank Ginger one more time for coming onto the podcast, having a fun little chat with us, giving us an update what's going on over at McMurray Hatchery. She had lots of good stuff. Always, always does. Thanks, Ginger. Thank you. Okay, so let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Now, this week's Cracking the Eggs, we're doing... Baked Spanish rice with eggs and chickpeas. Yummy. It's something that you can do breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You really can. Yeah. Sometimes we like these recipes that you can eat all day long. Well, really, can't you eat anything all day long? I mean, like pizza for breakfast. Oh, yeah. 
So here's so the thing. Good. It was funny. We're watching Family Feud with my dad the other day, and the question comes up, a breakfast food that you could eat all day long. Pizza? <laughs> I said eggs, of course. Omelette, right, of course. I just said eggs. Okay, just eggs. Number one, bacon. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't even think of bacon as a breakfast food. I'm. It's like an all-day food to yeah. me. But first thing, me being, us being the chicken ladies- mm-hmm. I was eggs. like, eggs. No, it wasn't number one. Bacon was. I was like, oh, man. Okay. But yeah, eggs are all day. And this recipe is one that you can eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or for a snack, or if you're just hungry and you need some good protein. Right. Now, you can add, I didn't put any meat in this. You can add meat if you want, like, you know, some chorizo or something. Right. But as it stands, it's a very delicious vegetarian entree that you could use for a side dish. And again, like you said, it works for any meal. It does. Okay, so let's go down the line of what you're really going to need for this recipe. You're going to need a medium yellow onion, a half of a medium green pepper, both of these things chopped, okay? Two cloves of minced garlic, a generous splash of olive oil. I never measure mine. I don't either. I I splash that baby in there. (laughs) I never measure. There's no reason to. Two or three large Roma tomatoes chopped, three cups of broth, You want a strong veggie broth or chicken broth. These are what is going to work best for this recipe, okay? A quarter cup of tomato paste, one and a half cups of white rice. And I'm sure you could use brown if you're looking. You could, but I've tried so many times to like brown rice and I don't. I'm the same way now. I've always tried. It just doesn't cook the same. I'll eat whole grains all day long. The one whole grain I don't like is brown rice. Yeah. So thus, but if you have if you have somebody that has a heart problem or something, they're told they can only eat it, you can try it. You might... You might be okay. If not, use the white rice. Exactly. The <laughs> recipe calls for white rice. Let, Ollie, leave it there. Ollie's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. uh-uh. No. Do not mess up my We're recipe going white with rice. rice. <laughs> uh, one teaspoon of cumin and one and a half teaspoons of sea salt. So we also need a little bit more in ingredients here. That is a half a teaspoon of paprika, a quarter to a half of a teaspoon of chili powder. I always go more than this in everything. Uh, I'm the quarter. Really? Oh, Yeah. The cumin, the paprika, the chili powder, I always go higher, definitely. I'm okay if you go higher with the other two, but not the chili powder. Really? Yeah. Okay, a cup of cooked chickpeas. You can get these very easily from a can. Oh, yeah, They're yeah. Fine. Just rinse, rinse the can. You're fine with the can. A cup of green peas and the all-important four eggs. So let's start. Make sure you preheat the oven to 350. Right, 350. Now, you want a large... Stove safe and oven proof pan or baking dish. I have an enameled cast iron Dutch oven that I use I for too. this. Any oven safe dish that you can also put on the stove is fine. Right. You just want it to be pretty big. You're going to add the onion, the green pepper, and the garlic with the olive oil. You're going to saute that until the vegetables begin to soften, three to five minutes, somewhere in there. Add those chopped Roma tomatoes. Cook for a few more minutes, stirring as necessary. Then you add in the broth, the tomato paste, the rice, and all of the seasonings. You bring that to a boil, and then you remove it from the heat. Cover the dish with either its lid or with some aluminum foil and put it in the oven. Okay. You're going to bake it in the oven for 40 minutes. Then you're going to take it back out. Take the cover off. You're going to stir in the chickpeas and the green peas. Then you're going to make four indentations in the rice. You know, in the top, you're going to crack an egg into each one. You're going to carefully return that dish to the oven uncovered. Bake another 10 minutes or so until the eggs are set. Serve and enjoy. And just take that egg with the rice and the veggies all around it, and you have a serving right there. Like we said, 
You can have your friend over to talk chickens with you for lunch. You can do this, this for would dinner. Be like an amazing side dish with some grilled fish. Or yeah, it would be a yeah. great side dish. It would be a great main, main dish. dish. Yeah. yeah, the protein and the eggs, mm-hmm. just the rice and the veggies. They give you enough for a main dish also, but you could use it as a side for anything. It's also good if you have a friend over for lunch. Yeah. Nice and easy. Mm-hmm. These are things that you can do with your eggs that you don't even think about. Cook them with the rice and the veggies and you have a great thing. So try it. You might like it. Send us pictures if you do. We love to see it. Okay. So let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. This week's Retail Therapy, we are welcoming Emma Berry to the table to talk about her new book, Chick Magnet. Enjoy the interview. For this week's Retail Therapy, we have an extra special treat. We have author Emma Berry, who is here to talk about, hold your pants on for this one, Chicken Lady Romance Novel, Chick Magnet. Yeah! I mean, while you're out there with the chickens... You could be reading yourself a chicken lady romance novel. You could. You could, and you you can. Emma, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for our copies of the book. We've had a grand time reading and discussing. (laughs) It's been so much fun. Like I was telling you, we were just talking a while ago, and I was telling you we went to Mexico, and I took it with a group of friends of mine, and everyone had to recircle back. How's the chick magnet going? No, it was all men, too. I'm like, you know you want to be reading this. You just, you know. Or maybe they wanted to be the hero. They wanted to be the guy on the front cover. You can't see this right now, but I'm holding the book. And man, there's a looker on the front cover. I mean, he's a hunk of hunk. The moment when my editor sent me a bunch of pictures and we were trying to decide what beefcake should be on the cover of the book was definitely the moment when I knew that I'd made really good choices in my life because I was like, wait, these are work-related emails. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) we got to decide which dude we thought was the dude, right? So it was was very exciting. (laughs) So he is Dr. Lund in the book. That is correct. On the front. I can see that. I can see that he, he could be Dr. Lund. I, I'd believe it. Well, we're dying to know. And we don't want to go away too into the plot because, you know, we want everyone to go read the book. But we're just dying to know what was the inspiration behind the book? So I am also a chicken lady. I have had chickens in my suburban Virginia backyard for five years. When I had my first batch of chickens and they had moved out of the brooder, out of my house, into the backyard... One day, knock, knock, knock on the door is a neighbor of mine that I have never met. And he's like, ma'am, I'd just like you to know that one of your chickens is out. And I was like, sir, this is impossible. They are in my coop, right? And locked in the chicken run. But no, one of my chickens was in fact out. And this neighbor and I chased Camilla, one of my buff Orpingtons, in the rain for 30 minutes until we caught her. And he was so nice about it and was like helpful. And I kept being like, really, you don't you don't have to. You, you, you can leave, right? Because I was mortified. I just wanted him to go. And this very nice dude helped me catch my escaped chicken. And I came in and I tweeted about it. And I'm on like romance Twitter. And romance Twitter is the nicest, but also like 
They will never talk you out of anything. And so I told this story and everyone was like, so babe, when are you writing this book? Um, and so that became like the first chapter of the book. And there, of course, it's like, she is a famous chicken influencer. I, alas, not a famous chicken influencer, although super happily married. So this was not my meat cute, but it became Nick's meat cute with her neighbor who turns out to be a veterinarian who's been hate watching her channel, right? So like that's sort of the setup for the book, but that scene 100% true to life. <laughs> so that was the inspiration for this entire romance novel is that first chapter. And the funny thing is, the guy who knocks on the door isn't always so nice in the first chapter. He kind of takes a different vantage point, hmm. although yet very helpful. Helpful, but yeah, no, he's he's skeptical of her. He's skeptical of like the medical advice he feels like she's giving on her channel and kind of skeptical of like backyard chickens in general. She brings them around. Don't worry, okay? Then he <laughs> comes around on the backyard chickens, but but he's not he's not super thrilled by this scenario, though though helpful. <laughs> Do you have a particular influencer you base this on, or is she like an amalgamation of people? She is more an amalgamation of people. She's not, so this is not like real person fiction. She's not based on a single person, but it was just mainly my delight at this sort of inf chicken influencer community and like how much I love it. And particularly during the pandemic, how much a lot of those channels meant to me, I think for a lot of us as a kind of alternate socialization and entertainment during a really tough time. And the sort of idea for that had been the back of my head. But during COVID, it sort of exploded, I think, as, as I consumed more chicken influencer content. I was like, this would be such a cool hook for a romance novel. And then the sort of whole thing grew out of there. It's so funny that this happened out of COVID. Our podcast happened kind of mm -hmm. out of COVID also. We've had chickens for many, many, many years, but the mm -hmm. podcast itself came kind of through COVID yeah. and us being on Zoom all the time together mm -hmm. and you're saying, oh, there, there's a need for it. Yes. I'm glad that it worked out. And and I should say COVID is in the book. It's in the rear view mirror of the book. And I know some people don't necessarily want to see COVID in their escapist media. I totally get that. But it felt like it was a moment around which chicken stuff kind of exploded. And so I yes. felt like I sort of couldn't leave it out of the book. So it is there, but in a small way in the sort of backdrop. Well, you know, it was what we would call a historically significant event. So you kind of have to mention it. I mean, it really did change the world in a lot of ways. Yeah, there were articles and people, articles in the mm -hmm. New York Times about the explosion of chicken keeping across the U.S., the birth of the chicken influencers at that point came about. So it, it's a good story. We have the next question, but you kind of answered it. Do you have a flock of your own and what kind do you have? Yeah. So at the moment I have four hens. I have two Bard Plymouth Rocks and I have an Easter Acre in Americana and I have um, a Black Star. Sadly, Camilla, my buff Orpington, who was kind of the inspiration for a book, uh, was killed by a hawk last year, which was very sad. Um, so yeah, it was such a bummer, but she lives forever in the book. She's immortal, right? With her, her namesake for at the moment. Okay. Nice. Very nice. Did yeah. you have to learn a lot more about chickens to write the book? Certainly. I thought a ton about influencing as a job, but also vets because he's a veterinarian, right? And so I don't know that I had to add knowledge necessarily for the chicken stuff. Life has taught me all the chicken stuff, but thinking about it more in terms of what would it be like to be an influencer? You know, I mean, I'm on social media. I'm sure all on social media. 
posting on Instagram every once in a while is not the same as being like a full-time content creator and thinking about what it'd be like to run a Patreon and like, what would it be like to have a million followers and like the amount of feedback you would get on every post, going in and liking all those comments and really thinking about it as if you did this for eight hours a day, what would that look like? And then tons of research went into the will side of it. Like what's happening with veterinarian medicine today? And like, I mean, I'm sure many of us with chickens have had the experience like my regular vet doesn't see my chickens. Uh, They don't see poultry, right? And so thinking more about the structure of vet businesses and pressures that are on vets. And so like there was a ton of research that went into that side of the book. Mm -hmm. I could relate to many different sides where you were coming from because we are kind of chicken influencers ourselves Mm -hmm. over on the social side of it. And I'm a retired animal nurse. So Mm -hmm. I work in both. I could relate to what you were saying and all the different aspects of it. We're running our Patreon page and everything Mm -hmm. else because that's what comes along with Mm -hmm. having the podcast and running social media. I could relate to that. And it was a fun read to sit there and to kind of see that on paper. Really, chicken influence on paper, you're not going to see that very often. Somebody had to start it, but maybe it's going to begin a trend. Maybe there'll be like an explosion of chicken influencer books. I think one of the most interesting things here in Maryland, we kind of feel guilty. We're like embarrassed by riches. We have no fewer than five or six poultry veterinarians, you know, right in the metropolitan area. It's interesting to talk to them about what happened during COVID. The Mm -hmm. same thing that happened with chickens everyplace else. They got more chicken clients than they could Mm -hmm. ever have imagined. Yeah, that's great. I'm jealous. My regular vet is amazing and takes care of my dog and my cat, but they don't see chickens. So I have to go to like a special like farm animal vet who's like quite far away. And it's like sort of an ordeal versus my dog and cat are much easier. So yeah, I'm jealous. Absolutely. That's one of the things that the podcast we're trying to make it easier for chicken owners to be able to get to veterinarians and get Mm -hmm. veterinary care for their chickens. So it was fun to see that you wrapped up veterinary care and influencing all in one book. I liked that. It was very, it was cool. So that brings me to, now this is a romance novel. So this Mm -hmm. isn't just like you're running the mill. We're going to talk about chicken influence. We're talking about love here. It brings us to what was your favorite part of the book? My favorite part. I really loved, and this is a romancy thing, but not maybe like the steamy romancy thing that everybody imagines with it. But I really liked how Will and Nick both have wounds, right? Not literal wounds, like emotional wounds. She projects being very sunshiny, right? Like she, it's like in the romance world, we might call a grumpy sunshine romance, but underneath her sunshine, like she's coming off of this really bad breakup and needs to learn to trust herself again. And then Will is dealing with a bunch of upheaval at his business and a bunch of upheaval with his job. And it's made him feel very vulnerable and like a failure. And so even though he's projecting grumpy, he's really not grumpy. That's like a mask to sort of protect himself. And I, so they're neighbors and I loved how they become sort of tentative friends. And then they begin telling each other things that they're not telling anyone else in their lives. And it builds up this emotional intimacy before the romance really gets going. And I really loved those moments of like disclosure or connection between them. And that's what really convinces me that the couple can make it long term. I mean, it's great when there's like a lot of sparks and everyone enjoys that. But to me, it was the emotional connections, maybe like in the first half of the book that I really loved and that really convinced me that Nick and Will are like meant to be. It's that story. You have to be friends first to make it last, right? The friendship is what keeps it going. Totally agree. Do you have any more chickeny books coming up in the future? (laughs) 
I do not. I mean, it feels like a it feels like a tragedy. We should have I should have written more chickeny books. I have another book coming out in May, but there's not a gosh darn chicken in the whole book. Feels like a missed opportunity there. <laughs> or uh, yeah. like you know the next chapter with Nick and Will. No, we we need to know what's going to happen with them. I probably will try and write like an extended epilogue for them at some point for my newsletter. But alas, I do not see more chicken books on the horizon for me. But who could say? Maybe maybe years down the road. (laughs) It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. So that brings us to the final question for you, which we ask every single person who's been a guest on our show, even though it's the most unfair question ever. (laughs) What is your favorite breed of chicken? Oh, that is an unfair question. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to offend some of the chickens. I'm going to go out there right when we get off this and have to like apologize to them with mealworms or something. I will say I like my Plymouth Rocks a lot because they don't get broody, but my Orpingtons got really broody, which was kind of a problem. They do not cause the drama in the hen house. My Black Star is very loud and very dramatic and she lays a lot of eggs, but she just causes a lot of confusion and delays, they would say on Thomas the Train. <laughs> the, the Plymouth Rocks are just very mellow. They don't cause a lot of drama. And I appreciate that. And they don't get broody. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I have I have barred rocks yeah. also. They don't go broody, which is a they're very good thing. Like a good solid breed. They're nice layers. They're pretty. They're great. Yeah. yeah. And they're like mellow with my kids and the dog. And so like I all of that for me, at least is very much appreciated. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love that you're a chicken lady. And I love the fact that you wrap that into a romance novel. It's something different out here. And we have so many chicken ladies and guys that listen to us. You need to run and get this book. It's a good read when you're just sitting out with the chickens at the coop. And it's a nice, it's really a nice story. It's it's a nice story. And it's fun. And it's a light read. It's a vacation read. Like I said, I took it to Mexico with me. Everyone there wanted to know what happened. They're they're all going to listen to this and still say, you never told me what happened, Chrissy. But everybody <laughs> wants to know what happened. I told them you have to go buy a book yourself and read it. So we have Emma's book linked in the show notes. You can get your copy on Amazon. So we just want to thank Emma for joining us at our table and talking about her awesome new book, Chick Magnet. You need to go get it and you need to read it. Thank you, Emma, so much. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It was very much a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. We just want to thank Emma one more time for sending us copies of this book to read and for coming onto the show and having a great chat with us. I loved reading it. It was spicy. It's fun. (laughs) Okay. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are profiling a North American breed, the Chanticleer. And you've seen this chicken on your cornflakes. Yeah. Or is it the well summer? I don't know. We that, got back and forth. conflict rages. <laughs> Main topic, we're talking about spring maintenance for your coops and runs with Fiona. Yay! Cracking the eggs, we're doing strawberry cheesecake. Yummy! Yeah. And retail therapy. This is another fun one. We're talking about garden channels. And where to get all the stuff you need. Mm-hmm. And how to do it. Yay! Okay. So what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>